Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. No regrets, no confusion, there'll be no pollution. So thankful I've decided to change my ways. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. I am Dr. Gabrielle Hakoen, <laughs> Esquire, PhD. I don't know. I guess we're just making up titles now because we can. Who, who am I co-hosting the show with now? If we're just making up titles, I want to be Empress Sadie Carpenter. Empress Sadie Carpenter. I'll take okay. That. If you're Empress, can can I be a knight? You know what? Sure. Yeah, sure. okay, I'm a knight. You know, you know what I'm going to make you a knight for? What? I'm going to make you a knight because you edit out when I go on unhinged rants on this show, and that makes me not sound like Kent Hovind. You mean Dr. Kent Hovind? No, I mean Dr. <laughs> Kent Hovind. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. This is the Leaving Eden podcast. Um the show about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult that she was raised in. Uh, we seek to educate and to inform our audience about the dangers of this cult, other cults, uh, fundamentalism, how dangerous these cult-like ideologies are as a whole. We seek to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. Sadie, what are we talking about today? Bring us into this. So in our last episode, we talked about Kent Hovind and his yes and his <laughs> creation seminars his theories about dinosaurs and his incredibly inflated ego when dealing with actual scientists mm. if you're just tuning in i would suggest you listen to that episode first but to catch you up kent hovind is a man with a 99 percent fake doctorate degree who used to travel around the country 
giving seminars to try to convince people that creationism was the truth. Um, but he doesn't do those seminars anymore. And we're going to discover why in this episode. Wouldn't you like to know why? Because it's hilarious and also a little bit upsetting. Yeah. Uh. So this guy, <laughs> we covered just his theories in the last episode. Uh, and in this episode, we want to talk about the entire cottage industry that this man has managed to build around his theories and how that plays out for him. I feel like cottage industry is the perfect way of putting it because th this man is like the Steve Jobs of roadside attraction level pseudoscience is how <laughs> I would explain who this guy is. That is incredibly accurate. It's like going to a TED talk, only the TED talk is run by a crazy person. It's nuts. It's so yeah. just listen to the last episode. It's it's yeah, it's worth it's it. Unbelievable. So Hovind started his creation science evangelism ministry in the 1980s. So he saw teaching people about the creationist viewpoint as a form of missionary work, and that's going to be important later. He did creation seminars like the one that we watched a small part of and a small, small two hour and 20 minute part of. Jesus Christ, it was so long. And that was part, we watched part three or part four. I think it was part three. Yeah, I don't um, but there were seven parts. Most of them were over two hours. Part seven has seven parts in and of and itself. And then part seven <laughs> has like seven A, seven B, except part seven is the question and answer forum. Uh, and so uh, it, it's like, I don't even know. What would that even be? Like 20 hours? I don't and know. It's like the just... last season of How I Met Your Mother. Of, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just drags. Yeah. But you like on. feel obligated to see it because you've, you've gotten this far in this train wreck and you, you feel like you can't get closure unless you see the end. <clears throat> and then like the one thing that you really wanted to see comes like five minutes before the end of the show. And then that's it. Thank God they're on YouTube and we can fast forward. That's what's going on here. Yep. Um, uh... So. He was he did the the seminar that we watched was recorded at Hiles Anderson. He claimed to do 800 to 900 speaking engagements a year. Uh and I don't I don't know how. How? I Does don't know how, but well, so he was he was a he was a school teacher for a while. Someone in our podcast group said that they was that he was their school teacher, which is just <laughs> wild. Um, so I guess he's probably counting that. He's probably counting if he just like talks to his waitress, like harangues his waitress about creationism. Like he's probably counting all that kind of stuff. So like every separate class period that he teaches in school, he's like, oh, that's he's technically a speaking. That. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so, and then he also would coerce real colleges and universities to have him allow him to speak to their science students. Which is a bit of a mystery why they would allow it. Maybe for entertainment. Maybe for entertainment. <laughs> maybe just to like inform their students of like, hey, there are people out there in the world who believe this and you need to be prepared to deal with them. Yeah, like no one Googled him beforehand. He's just like, oh, I'm a, <laughs> a cryptozoologist. They're like, oh, that sounds like a real thing. Let's get yeah, you no, in here. Just nobody Googled him. Or maybe, yeah. well, you know what? A lot of these engagements were before Google. Yeah. So that's probably how this happened. The other possibility is that, you know, he's counting like 800... If, Say he's speaking to Hiles Anderson or something, he'll have like one part of his lecture before lunch and then two parts of it after lunch. So that's three separate There's speaking engagements. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. three for the day. That's technically three different ones. I wonder if he bills three times for it. Uh, I don't think he bills because he's he's doing this like a mission work thing. Oh no, this guy bills. You think so? There's no way that oh, this you know guy what? doesn't. No, he would bill. have to because yeah. later on 
um, in a in a lawsuit that we're going to talk about, he mentions making a certain amount of money off of these per year. Yeah. So you're right. I do want to throw one thing in for my musical theater fans. So Gavi, you can just like sit and be quiet for a minute. This guy reminds me so much of Harold Hill. Oh, from the Music Man? Yes. <laughs> I know that one. He's the monorail oh, really? guy on The Simpsons. Music Man is one of my all-time favorite musicals, and this guy is giving me such strong Harold Hill vibes. While we were watching that video last week, we saw him promoting quite a few things that he was selling, like a replica of an Egyptian tablet depicting dinosaurs, or maybe a mythical creature. It's not exactly clear. Probably a mythical creature. Anyway, right. you can buy a replica of that thing from Hovind for $40. Or 10 easy payments of $4, or 4 easy payments of 10 <laughs> on QVC. <laughs> he was also selling recording recordings of these seminars. He was selling books and t-shirts and all kinds of you know pens and, and fridge magnets and bumper stickers and things. So he was making money on speaking fees for his travels and he was making a surprising amount of money selling merch. Serious question though. You would probably know the answer to this. So if you went to go see a Hoven seminar, how likely are you to leave with some merch? Because I, I visited his website, which is drdino.com. And it's not just full of merch, but it's also full of things like educational. He calls them educational materials, but like. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to throw out a couple different reasons that you might want to buy merch if you were at a creation science evangelism seminar thing. Go for it. If you were really impressed by one of his theories, you might buy a specific book of his or a book that he recommends that deals with that specific topic. So say what he had to say about the location of the Ark or Nessie or fossils or the Great Wall of China just really hit you right. You might want to buy that specific book to learn more about it or that DVD that, where he talks about it at length. You also might feel emotionally attached to something that he said. So if he's hawking a half-size replica of an ancient tablet that quote-unquote proves that the Egyptians had pet brontosauruses, you might want to buy that replica because it gives you an emotional high to have that thing that makes you feel so validated in your beliefs. Or you might buy that thing if you are a homeschool mom and you want to use it to teach your kids because as we've discussed in some states, you can literally do anything and call it homeschooling. Another reason you might want to buy it, and what I think would be the most common reason, is the social contract in the IFB. This man is presenting himself as a minister, as a missionary. So you're obligated to give him at least some money so that he can continue his mission. It's the fundy equivalent of dropping some money in the cash app or Venmo of someone who has an online tip jar or subscribing to someone's Patreon. If their work is valuable to you, you want to help them continue that work. And mm. in Fundy World, you're really obligated. If a missionary comes to your church, even if you're dirt poor, you've got to at least give them a dollar or something. It's 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 a, a real obligation. We're going to talk in, in a while about how much money he apparently made selling merch. So let's put a pin in that for the moment because I want to talk about something that happened in 1991. Good year. Two years before I was born. In 1991... Kent Hovind submitted his doctoral thesis. Doctoral thesis. His doctoral thesis. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Do you know where to start with this? So somebody put this, uh, put his, uh, this, this document on WikiLeaks. <laughs> it's available on the internet for anybody to read. This it is crookedly um, written on a typewriter hot mess. It is readily available for your perusal. Um, Link in the show notes. Uh, boy, howdy, is this thing a mess. Ooh. 
it Oy is vey. special. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. It's something. It's uh, I I don't even know where to start with this. So this thesis was submitted to Patriot University, which I had actually never heard of before. It's an IFB correspondent school diploma mill. Patriot University, so you know it's super legitimate because like all extremely legitimate institutes of higher learning, they have that payment plan where you pay for your degree up front, like, you know, like how Yale and Harvard do. Also, similarly to all institutions of, of higher learning, paying in advance for a PhD is uh, $2,219. <laughs> And I know that's a little bit expensive. It does include your books and a graduation (laughs) fee. So you do actually have to do some coursework, it appears. to It's not just send us your money and we send you a piece of paper. You have to actually do some kind of coursework, which makes me want to sign up for a class there and also makes me definitely not want to do that. But that's why we've been given the wonderful gift of this doctoral dissertation. I was, in case anybody's wondering, I was curious about Patriot University. So I Googled it. Yeah. So I Googled it, right? Shows up on Google Maps. And if you look it up on Street View, I don't know. Did you look it up on Street View, Sadie? No, I just saw the picture in the Wikipedia article. That was enough for me. Okay. So I looked it up on Google Street View. So this building that is, it's not a trailer, right? It's not. But it's no, also it's like, like a temporary building. It's like not a, a fully permanent building. It's like a you know, it's like the portable building on the playground that my eighth grade digital photography class was in. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like there's a dump truck parked outside, which I assume was used to deliver all of the doctoral dissertations from the esteemed doctoral candidates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it looks like um a place the DEA would be operating out of. It looks like it's across the street from a place that the DEA would be targeting. Yes. It looks like they let a rookie DEA agent pick the like the lowdown <laughs> hangout kind of like location where they're all going to work out of undercover. Yeah. But he's a rookie, so he doesn't really know how to pick these things. But let's talk about the, the dissertation from Mr. Kent Hovind, shall we? It, it has the best opening, like most people postgraduate papers what's the opening of this highly esteemed uh and super genius's uh doctoral dissertation what is the uh, how does he open this hello my name is kent hovind Ah, yes. What a better way to showcase yourself as an academic than to tell everybody what your name is hello hi everybody (laughs) Which is another great reason for for associating this man with Dr. Nick. Hi, everybody. This is, so Patriot University is the Hollywood Upstairs uh, Dental College of the IFB. Yeah. Or is it Hollywood Upstairs Medical College? If the paper turns clear, it's your window to wait. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I pulled it up just so that I could make sure I was correct. And yes, it says introduction. Hello, my name is Kent Hovind. I am a creation slash science evangelist. Not creation science, creation slash science. I live in Pensacola, Florida. I have been a high school science teacher since 1976. Those are the first few sentences of his, Mm. which is available. So by all means, check that out. I just see (laughs) Hovind like sitting down for day one of writing my doctoral dissertation. Like he's gotten up early. He's taken a shower. He's done his hair just right. He's got his dumb little safari hat on. Like He's all ready. He's got all his papers laid out just so on his desk. He sits down at his, at his typewriter with a big cup of coffee. 
and there's like this holy pause for a moment. And then he types out, hello, my name is Kent Hovind. (laughs) Then he sits back, he pushes the safari hat to the back of his head and lights a cigar while congratulating himself on a rough day of dissertation writing. So I was under the impression that IFBs didn't smoke. They don't, but it's <laughs> it's my mental image. He did have a dumb safari hat. Also, Kent Hovind does many things that IFBs aren't too fond of, but we will you get know, into that later. You know, that's true. He probably does. I mean, <laughs> considering some of the things that he does, I feel uh... like I really want to spoil it, but I know I shouldn't. No, we can't. So my theory on this, this is my theory on this, is that he just dictated the whole thing to somebody else, right? So like he, somebody who worked at his... Uh, Dr. Dino, a dinosaur adventure land amusement park that he has. More on that later. Uh, he got some. He's like, hey, I need your help. No, um, the dissertation was before the, the, the theme park. Really? Yeah, this was in okay. 1991. That opened in, what was it, 1998-ish, right? We'll get to it. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, but like, so, but he has a ministry. He's an evangelist. Doesn't he had he, people working for him before that, yes. Like interns. Well, What's the, the Jesus version of interns? Oh, we're going to tell you. Okay, well, so he gets one of those people and he's like, hey, uh, you're going to work for me. I'm just going to like say stuff and then you're going to type it out. And then like did not edit it. And he just like talked for two hours and then they he put it in an envelope and sent it with 2,200 and... $19 to 1135 French Street, Del Norte, Colorado, and was like, Yep. <laughs> a hard day's work. All right. I, mean, I did it. That's very possible. <laughs> the The thing is that the, 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 the dissertation is full of spelling errors and grammar errors. Um, zero so that, editing is done on this. Zero document. editing. It's, it's such a mess. And I really wonder, like, would it be so bad if I sent fifty dollars to Patriot University to enroll in a class just to see what the coursework is actually like? Because ostensibly, they do require you to do something to earn a degree, other than just send them money. It might be like that uh, that IFB dating site where you have to have a letter from your pastor to get to let them. What yeah. you want. Yeah. It might be one of those situations. Although if they are just a grift, they will take money from anybody. Right. And if they are just a grift, I would feel bad for supporting them, but I would also really like to know <laughs> what their curriculum is like. Honestly, I don't understand. Here's the thing. I don't understand how we have a student debt crisis in this country when you can get a doctorate from Patriot University for only $2,219. That's a mystery. That's, that's a real mystery. So I want to do some highlights from this dissertation, if you don't mind. Yes, take us through this. Well, it includes a poem. <laughs> you want to read the poem? You know, I will. It's pretty long, but I'm going to read a, a much as much of it as I feel like. Okay. Okay. On page 82 of this 101. <laughs> uh, as I was thinking on this subject, I wrote a poem to try to explain this comparing blind men and atheists. Strong start. Always tell people what the metaphor in your poem is about before they even read it. Okay. So here's the poem. Two blind men argued well into the night about the great question. Is there really sight? said one to the other, and quite fervently, there cannot be colors or else we could see. So take red and green and blue off the list. If I cannot see them, they must not exist. (laughs) A crazy man told me the sky is bright blue. I listened intently, but I caught no clue of anything out there to alter my mind. I'm not deaf, you know. I hear perfectly fine. Here in that sentence is spelled H-E-R-E, if you were wondering. 
Be quiet and listen, and then you will know that colors aren't real. How dare they say so? They tell me that grass is some sort of green. It looks like the rest of the world that I've seen. It tastes a lot different than jelly or cheese. He's eating grass. This is the first time I'm reading this. If I smell it too long, it sure makes me sneeze. It feels a lot different than ice cream or snow, but to say that it's green, I'd have to say no. I will not... Dr. Seuss. This is some doctor. Like I was thinking, this is Dr. Seuss. Keep reading it because this is too funny. (laughs) I will not believe it until I have seen there isn't a difference twixt red, blue, or green. And so the man twixt twixt twixt. He spelled that correctly. Anyway, um, and so the men argued with all of their might, and I couldn't show them that they were not right. Where has I come in in this poem? It was two blind men argued. Where do you come in? And I couldn't show them that they were not right. Is he God in this metaphor? I don't think so. That's no, but that's the thing is that so if there's about to get to God at the end of this stanza, Uh, they cannot see colors because they're blind, but I couldn't get the truth in their mind until they are given the great gift of sight. Never, not ever will they see the light. Two atheists argued on university sod. About the great question, is there university. a God? University. Uh, dens of Satan. Said one to the other, and quite fervently, there can't be a God, or else we could see. So take that old Bible and God off the list. If I cannot see him, he must not exist. Be quite, be quite, Q-U-I-T-E, be quite and listen, and then you will know that God is not real. How dare they say so? A crazy man told me that God lives up in heaven. I used to believe that when I was just seven, but now that I'm older and wiser, you see, I will not believe it. You can't prove it to me. I cannot sense God with sight, taste, or smell. I do not believe in heaven or hell. I do not like them, Sam. I am. I. That's not in the poem. That was that was me. <laughs> I've never heard God or felt him at all. If he's really up there, I wish you would call. I said, listen, fellows, you're spiritually blind. You've only five entrances into your mind. That limits your input. I wish you could see you can't fathom God or eternity. There are lots of things that really are real. It doesn't disprove God because you can't feel. So you two can argue the rest of the night. There's no way to show you that you are not right. When you get to heaven or hell, if you please, you'll understand God as you fall on your knees. I wish you could see him or hear him somehow, but that isn't possible where you are now. To deny his existence is really absurd. You'll have to believe him and trust in his word. So... There's a lot to unpack here. First of all, <laughs> A of all, I want to say I'm going to get the good stuff out of the way. For, you, you, you put the good first and then the bad, okay? Are we the doing good first, sandwich method? Yeah, sandwich. Okay. Actually, there's no sandwich. It's just like it's open-faced bagel is is the way that I – so you put the bad part first or, or the good part first and then I'm just going to – so okay, the fine. good part Go first, I want to say – to the the idea of like a metaphor of two blind men arguing about whether or not like colors exist that is that is like a fascinating concept to write something about and like if it had maybe like more if it had language that was better than this like bootleg dr seuss bullshit like this could be like a good you know what i'm saying well the thing is that there is there is a poem like this by like a famous author Oh, really? So he just ripped yes, this off from I'm somebody else? I'm pretty else. sure. I'm, I'm going to have to Google it. So I did not read this poem before. Yet. I read it live for the first time because I felt like that would be better. But there is, hang on. I think it's called Six Blind Men and an Elephant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Blind Men and an Elephant. It's an ancient parable. 
I, I believe there's a poem about it. This man, this, I tell you, man, this guy, like, <laughs> but he put the, like, this is like some Dr. Seuss shit. Like, this is some mm, one, two, three, and two, the four. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door, but it's not like. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the poem is by John Godfrey Sachs. The fable is an old Indian fable. Uh, but the poem starts with, it was six men of Indistan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind. Okay, this is just like just a straight ripoff. Yeah. So like the, the blind men, like one of them finds its trunk and thinks that it's like a snake and one of them finds its side and thinks it's like a, like a wall and one of them finds the leg and thinks it's like a tree. And it's, but that's like, it's, this is, it's, this is, it's not straight up plagiarized, but it's definitely inspired by. This is, mm, mm. So he put a poem uh, in his dissertation. He put a poem written by himself, like this bootleg knockoff poem written by himself in his own dissertation. But also, like, it doesn't prove anything. Like, it just says, he's like, these two atheists are arguing. It's just a poem about his feelings about atheists. And I just have to, I just have to tell them, you just got to believe. Uh, Which and is, you'll be sorry if you don't. Like, that's the end. Hey, I would like to shout out to all of our atheist listeners, because I know we do have a fair, a fair group of uh, atheist and agnostic and um, non-spiritual, non-religious listeners in general. If any of you were converted by that poem, let me know and I will send you a free t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if you have become a Christian because of that poem, let me know. So, you know, he does put a poem in his dissertation, but you know what he doesn't put in his dissertation? What? A reference page. Uh, what references does he need other than a King James Bible? Um, none. <laughs> apparently, the the problem is that he does reference other people. On page sixty four, he quotes Alan Good, and uh, this is lifted directly from his text, Scientific America, May nineteen eighty four. I may be wrong, but I think the title of the publication is Scientific American. I mm. think that's what he meant. Uh, because I did look up the author and nothing for Scientific America turned up. I really think it was Scientific American. He also references David Kitts in Paleontology and Evolutionary Thought magazine. On page 64 and on page 65, he quotes Meyer's Systematic and Origin of Species and quotes Colin Patterson, the curator at the British Museum of Natural History. But he never cites them. He does not cite no footnotes, no endnotes, no in-text citations, no reference list. Nothing zero is ultranata. He might as well be referencing, like, Reader's Digest. I would not care if he were referencing Reader's Digest. He actually wrote a prop, like, if he wrote a proper citation with a reference page, that would be, that would be better than this. So, Sadie, you are currently a university student. Am I correct in saying that, this? That is correct. I have final projects due next week. I am stressing. Good luck. I wish you nothing but the best. I'm sure you'll get all A's. I, I, you know, I finished one of, I finished the rough draft of one of my final projects this morning. Good for you. Hard part's over. And yeah. if you, but like, so you write a lot of papers and you are the kind of person who uh, takes pride in their work. You take a lot of pride in. Yes. And I work. write a lot of papers because I'm in online college. So a lot of what you do for school is, is writing because that's the best way for them to gauge that you're getting the material. Mm -hmm. So I write two short papers and two longer papers per week in addition to what I write for the podcast. It's quite a lot of writing. But I've gotten much better at writing, so I, I'm happy with it. So if you were to turn something in, say not this exact paper, but something that was 101 pages, long, rambling, zero citations, 
and including a poem that you wrote in it and introducing it with, hello, my name is Sadie Carpenter. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I am an online college student and podcaster. Like, What sort of grade would you expect? for i would get an automatic zero for not including references actually if my teacher was one of the nicer ones they might give me the opportunity to resubmit it for partial credit so if i had turned this in when i was in high school forget college if i was in high school and i had turned this in i would have gotten a d minus at best yeah like he could have put a word search in this paper and it would have drastically improved the quality i don't even know like i i so did you actually read the whole thing? No, I I read selected parts. I like looked through the the chapter list sort of thing and picked out parts that I knew I wanted to take a look at. I did not have time to read the whole thing. So I actually read all 101 pages of this nonsensical diatribe. And I can say with full confidence, <laughs> <laughs> this is it's so bad. It makes no sense. Nothing you know, he says makes any sense. This is like... You're correct. Utterly like, insane. You're correct about this. This is going to get so much, so much wilder that <sighs> the dissertation is going to fade into the background. <laughs> so at the time that he wrote his dissertation, Hovind was based out of his home in Pensacola, Florida. And his ministry, Creation Science Evangelism, was not structured as a 501c3 organization. And to quote Kent Hovind, this is also going to be important later. Mm. So Rebecca Horton, that's the Becca in a Becca book, also of Pensacola, Florida, reported Hovind to the IRS in the 1990s because she apparently had knowledge of the fact that he was not paying income taxes on any of the income from his speaking tours or his merch sales, which wow. led to the first of several run-ins with the IRS. It seems that Pensacola Christian College students were commonly working for Hovind at his ministry, but the college made the decision that they were no longer allowed to work for him anymore because of this. Wait, so she snitched on him to the feds? Oh, yeah. So I thought that you weren't supposed to do that. I thought that these things were supposed to be dealt with internally. Oh, wait, no, that's child sexual abuse, oh. not tax fraud. Tax fraud is actually a big deal. Well, they were also not part of the same ministry, so it doesn't apply. Yeah. But also, you yeah. You snitch on other ministries, uh, or is that having a negative spirit and the negative spirit is not of God? That's having a negative spirit unless you can make up like a biblical debate that you have with that other ministry, and then you're doing God a service by getting rid of the people who are telling lies. So telling lies is worse than abusing children. I mean, in IFB world, Yes. Probably. Uh... So the Hortons, <laughs> who ran Pensacola Christian College until her death a few years ago, are significantly less sketchy than the average fundamentalist. They're still sketchy. Don't get me wrong. But they're like classy sketchy, like the Godfather sketchy, not Scarface sketchy, if that makes sense. Mm. I, personally, I think there must have been some kind of like backroom vendetta there. I know so... Pensacola Christian College is all about the King James. So is another Pensacola resident, Peter Ruckman, who is going to get his own episode. Don't you worry. But he's like the super, super racist independent Baptist. That's his brand. And Kent Hovind is also super about the King James. Well, when you have three people that are all really about the King James version, they probably have a big fight over some aspect of it. Just from what I know of her and of the PCC leadership, 
I would put good money on there being some kind of personal drama there, but I don't know. That is just my opinion. So just a sidebar real quick. Do you ever like, so do you personally know anyone who's ever been indicted on charges of tax fraud? Tax fraud? Uh, uh, no one other than Kent Hovind, no. Like, so this is just in my personal experience. People get, who get in trouble for tax fraud are a lot of fun to hang out with. Like, yeah, that makes you, sense. <laughs> like, so, you know, maybe like maybe you wouldn't want to be best friends with this person, but they're always a great hang. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody who has an air of like general untrustworthiness about them, but in a really nice and likable sort of way. You, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely know that concept. Yeah. You like, know, the I, kind of person Yeah, who's like, oh, this boat isn't owned by me. This boat is owned by my shell company. <laughs> I I don't have that exact experience, but I do know people who are sketchy in a good way. Yeah, who's like sketchy in a fun way. Like, you know, like Barney Stenson, like, what does he actually do for a living? Please. Yes. Like, I know people like that. So that's kind of, I think I get the concept. Hoven's wife is involved in all of this, but due to things that we're going to talk about later in this episode, I'm going to somewhat give her a pass and attribute these tax fraudy actions to Hovind. But you do, you would want to know that she is involved in this tax stuff because it's going to come back in a few minutes. So after Rebecca Horton turned him into the feds, the first thing that Hovind tried was filing for bankruptcy to attempt to shirk his taxes. But it turns out that he had misrepresented his income and his assets. So Mm. the bankruptcy plan didn't work out. You can't do that, man. It's not a get out of jail free card. You can't do that. (laughs) Uh, So the next thing he tried (laughs) is Hovind and his wife filed, and this is his wife, Joe. They filed a legal document stating that any signatures that they had signed any time in their life before April of 1998 were null and void because any they time had, in their life. That's the that's the way that I was reading what I what I, my source. So their marriage license. You know that was what that was one thing I was thinking of, but it turns out marriage licenses don't mean a lot to this guy. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in this episode is a big setup for the end of telling you. Because um, so their reason for this was that they had been coerced or tricked into those signatures by the government or something. Um, so this uh, argument didn't go over super well in court either. I love this move, though. <laughs> this is a brilliant judo move. This is the Lucius Malfoy imperious curse defense. Genius <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> so the next step, so he just keeps trying things. Uh, the next step, and this may be predictable, is becoming a, a sovereign citizen. Do you do you know about sovereign mm. citizens? Oh yes, I know about sovereign okay. citizens. So, would you like to explain all of this to the people in her in our audience who might not be familiar with this concept? Sure. The mm. sovereign citizen argument comes in many forms. The tack that Hoven specifically took is that the land on which he lived in Pensacola, Florida, was never officially purchased or annexed by the United States, and therefore it is not a part of the United States. It's just an area of unincorporated land over which the United States has vague but not not vague but not specific jurisdiction, and mm. therefore the government and by extension the IRS has no jurisdiction in Pensacola, Florida. So, A, that's hilarious and makes literally zero sense. What? So you're like, I'm in America, but I'm not subject to the laws. 
I'm an, I'm in America and I am an American citizen, but because of where my residence is, I'm not subject to the laws that I don't want to follow, <laughs> like the tax laws. So this is a whole thing. So basically, like sovereign citizen type people, they'll say, I am a sovereign citizen and therefore I'm not subject to the laws of the federal government. But also, like, they're the same sort of people who usually they'll have a backyard bunker full of baked beans and ammunition. Yeah. Um, the concept... <laughs> The concept of soft set, it's, it's a bit difficult to explain in short form. The idea is that people renounce or deny their United States citizenship in favor of not considering themselves a citizen of any country, but just a person living in territory that happens to be claimed by the United States. So I believe that they are basing this argument on a misreading of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which says... Um, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. But then they'll just go and say, well, I'm not subject to the jurisdiction thereof. And so I don't have to follow the laws like that's what they're saying. But then you can go on the Internet and pay one hundred and ninety nine dollars to some grifter who will sell you like a sovereign citizen certificate and ID card so that you can show the police when you get pulled over. So people will laugh at your dash cam footage on Reddit. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the size of it. And and like most people who use this tend to just try to get out of tickets with it and it tends to not go super well. <laughs> Look, if there was a way to get it out of tickets, then I would know about it and I would be doing it every day, man. I have in years. Oh, oh, you! I should oh. not have said that, that on. <laughs> you can just bleep it. You can just go, <laughs> I bleep, 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 bleep in years. And then yeah. people will wonder what it is. By around 2000, Kantovind has been in trouble with the IRS for quite a while. And he did what any reasonable person who is already in hot water for tax reasons would do. What's that? And that's open a theme park in his backyard. It's a legitimate business idea. <laughs> Dinosaur Adventureland was constructed in Kent Hovind's backyard in 2001 without a building permit, which was the first of many run-ins with the local authorities. He then just made his own entrance to the property off of Old Palafox Street, uh, which didn't go over great with the zoning board. But after paying some fines, he was apparently able to keep his amazement park open. Apparently, even in Florida, you cannot just rezone your house and build a new street without permission. You may have said, you may have noticed that I referred to this place as an amazement park. Hovind insists that Dinosaur Adventureland is not an amusement park because amuse means not to think. Which, by the way, that's a trope. That's like a, a saying that I've heard in the IFB at large. But instead, it is an amazement mm. park because it is meant to teach the truths of God. So imagine being an old couple that moved to Pensacola because you didn't want to do Boston winters anymore. And then the guy down the street from you starts building an amusement park in his backyard. I'm sorry, an amazement park in his backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just utter chaos. Florida is a crazy place. He's just like building stuff. There's like children running around everywhere. Uh, yeah. I thought this was a gated neighborhood. <laughs> Have you ever visited Dinosaur Adventureland? I did visit Dinosaur Adventureland as a kid. Jesus. And I don't know if it was just a slow day or what, but we got a tour by none other than Dr. Dino, Kent Hovind himself. <laughs> uh, Hovind hung out with my family for the entire day that we were there. 
and he was our personal tour guide. Wow. Yep. So did he know your dad was an IFB pastor? Maybe Jack Hiles called ahead and told him that his friend brother David was coming by with his family. Well, our visit would have been well after Hiles died. Although I'm really not sure what year it was. My best guess would be maybe 2003. He didn't he would have known that my dad was a pastor for sure. The vibe that I got for him from him was less of you're getting special treatment because you're an IFB pastor in his family. The vibe that I got was more that he was just a bit of a dilettante. Like he didn't have a real job at Dinosaur Adventureland other than just being a general party host and tour guide and cosplaying as a scientist. The the vibe that I got was he was bored and he was like, oh, here's a family. The kids are super interactive. The, the kids are having a good time. And like that boosted his ego to have to really be like one on one with us. Mm. So he just like he was just like, oh, here's a fun family. I'm just going to have fun and hang out with them for the day and amaze them with my theories. See, I feel like if Kent Hovind were not a crazy fundy, he would be. I don't know. He would be like an interesting guy to have. He would be like your weird uncle that you like seeing at Thanksgiving because he always says crazy shit. Yeah. You know? like that was that was the vibe. He was he was really charming just in a very he was really fun. Like he was like yeah. super fun. Like if you were going to be in a room with a fundy, I would highly recommend him. <laughs> you know, Way like better I would, hang than like uh Joe or Evangeline Combs. Right, or mm. even like even like Jack Scott, like Jack Scott was was charismatic, but he but was serious. He was very serious and like slightly creepy. And Jack Scott would like give you these like deep looks into your eyes and not necessarily even in like a inappropriate way, but in like a I am very serious and I probably know what you're thinking right mm. now. Like in in this example, um, yeah, like I, I would much rather. I mean, I would still much rather if I had to spend an hour with a fundy. Kent Hovind would be high on my list. Yeah. So when is when you were there? When you went to visit, though, was it all fundy families, or were there some normies there that you know just, <laughs> like went there? They're like, oh, there's a theme park over there. It says like Dinosaur Adventure. Museum. Yeah, cool. Science Museum, Dinosaur Adventureland theme park. Let's go there. And then. <laughs> I don't think like the real normies went there. The logo for the park is a dinosaur looking up at three crosses. So it's pretty obvious. Oh, Um, and creationism is the entire theme of the entire place. So So you're not going to accidentally red pill anybody by. No, like if you, I think, I think Hovind thinks that like normies are going to come for the cool dinosaur stuff and then like come to a saving belief in jesus and creationism but i don't think that actually happens because it's very it's very obvious as much as you would see evolution referenced at a normal museum or science center you would see creationism referenced that much at dinosaur adventureland there were probably people there who weren't ifb like like regular christian evangelicals type people i also read online that some kids from pensacola when they were in high school they would like get stoned and skip school and go wander around dinosaur adventure land, which sounds like a good time. But yeah, other than that, like... I don't think non-believers really went there very much. So one highlight of my experience with Hovind was him handing us what looked like a rock and then telling us that it was di- fossilized dinosaur poop, which thinking back makes me wonder if he understands how fossils work because he was telling us like it's poop, but trying to get us to smell it to see if it still smelled like poop. And if I'm understanding fossilization correctly, it would, it wouldn't be any poop remaining, right? It would be the, the carbon would have been replaced by stone. 
Am I misunderstanding fossils again? So fossilized poop is a real thing. It's called coprolite. And scientists study it to determine an animal's behavior and diet. It's like a real thing. Yeah. But doesn't fossilized mean like the original material was replaced by stone? Yeah, by, so by different materials. So he's trying to get you to smell it to be like, oh, well, I smell it. Oh, well, that's because it doesn't smell like anything. Oh, that's because it's fossilized. That's what's going on. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm not quite getting this, but that's not my. That's not the point of this episode. There's more stuff to get to. Yeah. Uh, at Dinosaur Adventureland, the other big highlight for me was they have a human femur that is long enough that it would have belonged to a person between like eight and nine feet tall, which Hoven told us is supporting evidence for Bible stories of giants. He said it probably didn't belong to Goliath because Goliath died in battle. So his his bones probably wouldn't have been preserved, but that it could have belonged to one of his relatives. And was it an actual human femur? I don't have any reason to think it wasn't. I this was a mm. this was well quite a while ago, so I don't remember if he made a specific this is a human femur or this might be or this is a replica. I don't remember. So this raises other questions because as a metalhead, I'm sure you know that it is extremely difficult to legally purchase <laughs> human bones if you are not a college or university. I love that. As a metalhead, I'm sure that you know. No, literally, um, <laughs> you've been like, oh, this is this is a band that I really like. This guy's got a microphone that's made out of human bones. Oh, you're talking about King Diamond, who does have a microphone stand. Yes, it's made out of two humeruses, I think. Um, and you've also heard me talk about wanting a piece of Perolin's head. Um, yes. Because it's from- totally totally do for mayhem i wouldn't say it's difficult to purchase human bones legally it's extremely difficult to purchase human bones ethically from my research a lot of the bones on the market come from countries that have overcrowded cemeteries so the tradition in those areas is that people rent a cemetery space and their loved one's body resides there until only the bones remain and i don't want to exoticize this or like other this practice, because this is not something that we don't do in the United States. Um, This is very similar to the practice of oven crypts in New Orleans. So this is not like some exotic thing. This is a thing that lots of cultures have done over time. The problem is, after the body is decomposed and the gravesite rental is up, uh, people in those countries are like, well, what are we going to do with with our loved one's bones? And sometimes people in very poor countries will sell them to uh westerners who will sell them online the problem is that there's no opportunity for the deceased to consent and that's my that's my problem i really like like, i don't think that's a good like vibe to have in my house so i don't know if this is like so is this a recent human feet or was it fossilized i do not remember if he said it was a real one or a replica of a real one I feel like he was very uh, jokey about it. Like, he wasn't straight up saying where it was from. That's extremely he sketchy. He implied that it was real. Yeah, I, just, I remember a sketchy feeling about it. I cannot remember the specific claims that he made. Either way, I did a look around on the Google. Finding bones from extremely tall humans is not common, but it happens enough that it's not impossible that what he had was real and legitimate. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. This is a thing that happened that we literally don't even have time to discuss because there's so much else about this man. But I did want to throw in that he did get uh, he did get got by Ali G, the Sasha Baron Cohen character. 
like like and that's like the least interesting thing about this guy so we don't even have time to like fully get into it look it up it's on the internet you can find it it'll be in the show notes uh it's pretty funny but like we don't even have time that's how that's how wild this guy's entire like life is yes so by 2002 the dinosaur adventure land was fully up and running and it has been estimated that between his merch sales and the theme park he made at least five million dollars between 1999 and 2004 and because his ministry wasn't registered as any kind of like nonprofit 501c3 that money was likely just going to a big old bank account that he used for personal stuff or ministry stuff or whatever the heck he felt like why did he not register as a 501c3 it's not difficult like and a not for profit status gets you tax exemption i like because, why did he not do that because that's a government scam used to um control churches or something or maybe you have to actually account for where the money is going and where it's coming <laughs> or from. Or maybe you do that. that. <sighs> so he said it's because it's a scam used to control churches, but his current ministry is registered as a 501c3. So uh, here's the thing. Dinosaur Adventureland had individuals who were working at the location. And I phrase it that weird way because these people were not employees. <laughs> they were effectively volunteers who received cash gifts relative to the hours that they worked, which is a very complicated way to say that this man is not paying federal employment taxes or FICA taxes. Mm. So in 2002, Hovind unsuccessfully sued the IRS for harassment because they were harassing him to pay his income taxes (laughs) because he clearly had an income, but he was reporting zero which is exactly what you would do if you wanted the irs to start peeling apart all of your finances with a heat gun and a scalpel yes and this is the official reason that becca horton made a rule that pensacola christian college students were not supposed to work for hovind but i had always heard that it was like a bible issue or something so again i'm not really sure what the story (laughs) is there maybe we'll find out when we do the ruckman episode anyway this is the most fundy thing I've ever heard, though, is that you have a theological difference with somebody, so you report them to the government for tax evasion. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty classically fundy. So by 2004, 2006-ish, all of these issues are really piling up for Hovind. It turns out he was not only shirking federal employment taxes for his non-employees, he was also just straight up falsifying, falsifying his own federal income taxes. Because of his belief that, quote, social security is a Ponzi scheme. He was also smurfing, which sounds more like something that Dave Hiles might be into. (laughs) Glad you liked that. It's actually a financial term for depositing or withdrawing just under $10,000 in cash. Because you might know this or you might not, but $10,000 or over in cash is subject to financial reporting to the IRS. It's part of, like, fraud prevention. Mm. So when I worked at my last job, occasionally someone would make a large purchase in cash, and part of my responsibilities were to fill out the tax forms and assemble proof of the transaction, proof of having sent the forms in, send the forms to the IRS, send a copy to the customer, file all of it for backup. So if you ever withdraw $10,000 or more from the bank or deposit $10,000 in cash or more, or make a purchase in cash that's ten dollars or more, Someone has to fill out all those forms and collect the backup documentation to prove that they did it in case something gets lost in the mail. Hovind was habitually doing that kind of cash transactions with like $9,600 in cash Mm. to avoid 
the bank having to fill out that kind of paperwork on him. But they notice when you're doing that. <laughs> well, it's still in like your banking records. It just doesn't immediately get reported to the IRS. And yeah, the bank is probably going to know something's up if every time you go to the bank, you're either depositing $9,900 or withdrawing 9800 or something. <laughs> this is so dumb. Well, he really thought he was smart. (laughs) Just because it doesn't trip the automatic system doesn't mean that nobody's going to pay attention to. Like, these are all techniques that I've heard of, but these are also techniques that the feds know about. And if you work at a bank and you see somebody doing this, you're going to say, hmm, there's something fishy going on here. I better tell my manager to see if this person does this like four times a week for several years. Yes. Like, why don't I just uh, keep an eye on this? Because this is extremely sketchy. And the only reason why somebody would do this is because they specifically didn't want somebody looking into their fine. Like this is we're being sketchy. Like as soon as you start doing this, like as soon as they start looking into this, you are going to get caught immediately. Yeah. Which he did. So regarding his business, (laughs) creation science evangelism, Hovind said that they were not legally operating within the United States because of the sovereign citizen stuff, because they were a non-statutory trust, which I didn't have a lot of time to fully research because there was so much in this episode. But what I'm what I'm getting from what I did, what I was able to read, is that Hovind had a business bank account for creation science evangelism. He had no assets of his own. So he just used the business account for groceries and rent for the property and business expenses and non-employees, non-paychecks and everything. And when he needed cash to pay for all those things, he just took it out $9,900 at a time so that it wouldn't get reported. This is deeply illegal and a very bad idea. If you are listening to this and you know anything about business <laughs> and you're listening to this, you're like, Jesus f***ing Christ. Like I'm taking a business degree right now and I'm literally in like my f- second semester and i know that this is illegal like they had a class be like okay so this you don't do don't do this see all of like i feel like they could teach a class it was this was in my first accounting class dude like my intro to accounting which i took last term it was like okay these are some things these are some things not to do So if you are, I feel like they should just make a class on Kent Hovind just being like, name all of the financial crimes that this man has committed. So they should have a class and it's just (laughs) Kent Hovind and Tom Kimmel. And you just like, you learn about both of them and where they both went terribly wrong. Yeah. So uh, when the, when the non-statutory trust thing didn't work, Hovind's next try, and this is just the thing, he just tries things over and over thinking that something's going to work. Um, his next try was claiming that income tax is voluntary based on U.S. law, uh. which went over just about <laughs> as well as you'd expect. I am genuinely curious as to whether he actually believed this was true or if this was just like a Hail Mary. Oh, no, this isn't the Hail Mary. This is like three things before the Hail Mary. <laughs> I mean, the theme park did have a very cool, like, giant swing thing. It was like like a playground swing, but not... It was like one rope. So you, it was like a Tarzan swing, but like with a seat on it. Hmm. It was like halfway between a zip line and a, and a playground swing, but it was like 50 feet in the air. And they would put you on one platform and just fucking swing you over to the other platform, like hope you don't hit a pole. And Kent Hovind would be like, okay, now you need to stick your feet out in front of you. So if you do hit that pole over there, it's feet first. Mm. Uh, so that I was wonder fun. if anybody's ever gotten injured there and then sued him for all of his money. Uh, 
I feel like so I have I read some whispers of something happening to a child at the amazement park online. And I just could not dig up because of so many other articles about him. I couldn't get deep enough to find out what that was that happened. But I feel like something might I, I have seen rumors that something happened and I just wasn't able to substantiate them for in time for this episode to go to air. So I feel like if that happened, though, Kent Hovind would just be like, look, you're the parents. Here is forty thousand dollars cash. Please do not sue me so that nobody looks. Hang into on. My I got to go to the bank five times so I can get forty thousand dollars in cash. I will pay you forty thousand dollars in four uh installments of nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine dollars and ninety five cents just like it's qvc (laughs) so do you want to know what he tried next so so this one's a bit of of a wild card he tried convincing the judge and jury that the amazement park and ministry belong to god and therefore could not be taxed because you can't tax god f***ing legend I am completely at a loss for words. I, but, I that was a pretty good one. <laughs> look, he, okay, but here's the thing, though. Doesn't saying that you are a nonprofit religious organization essentially do the exact same thing? If he had structured his ministry as a 501c3 and hired a decent tax accountant, he could have gotten away with paying little or possibly even nothing in taxes. From what I've been reading, like... He like half of what he was doing wouldn't have been fraud if he had just done the exact same thing that he did anyway with a 501c3 and a paper trail. It is so unbelievably easy to not pay taxes or to pay very little in tax. Like, I do not understand. Like, this isn't even a case of him getting in trouble because he did anything especially heinous yet. This is a case of him getting in trouble because he literally gave the feds no other option and he was being just a like a colossal dumbass. In 2006, Hovind finally went to trial, and he did get convicted, and I'm just going to read you off the list of things that he got convicted for. Oh, God. Oh, it's a whole list. It's like Mm. 60-something counts. 12 counts of willful failure. Oh, it's 50. Hold on. It's 58 counts. 12 counts of willful failure to collect, account for, and pay over federal income taxes and FICA taxes. That's for not paying income taxes on his employees. Also, 45 counts of knowingly structuring transactions in federally insured financial financial institutions to evade the reporting requirements. That's for all the just under $10,000 transactions. And one count of corruptly endeavoring to obstruct and impede the administration of the internal revenue law. That's for bringing a frivolous lawsuit against the IRS, making threats against the agents who were investigating him and their families, and falsely... Wait, you mean what now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back like back like several years before this, like in the '90s, when the first time he got investigated by the IRS, he apparently made threats against the agents who were in charge of investigating him and also their families. And then he falsely listed the IRS as his only creditor in the attempt at bankruptcy back in 1996 before the sovereign citizen stuff. So did he plead out or did he actually go to trial? Oh no, he went to trial. Oh my god, that's incredible. Uh, I'm not sure what you're going to think of this. So after the trial, he was still trying to save the situation by saying that he didn't understand who was charging him or what he had been charged with. What I would not have given to have been on that jury. Oh, my God. So he got 10 years and his wife Joe got a year and a day. 
I just want to point out that Kent Hovind got the same sentence as Jack Scop. Yeah, and I have feelings about this. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking, I mean, Hovind didn't hurt anybody. He didn't betray anybody's trust except for his wife, which we are going to get to. I'm not saying that Hovind's sentence was too long, but maybe Scop's was too short because Hovind didn't ruin anybody's life except for his own and his wife's. He also didn't uh, engage in sex trafficking of a minor. Right, like he didn't, like Hovind only, Hovind didn't hurt any children. Um, Except for all the children that he taught were like dinosaurs were like. Yeah, but that's okay. We can bounce back from that. Died yesterday. Like I was sure Mm. as heck rather that that happened to me than the alternative. So um, the only good thing about Scott's short sentence is that I I am intending on getting a chance to look in his face in a couple years, uh, which I am very much looking forward to. But uh, but yeah, the only person that Hovind really really fucked over was his his first wife. Are we going to get into what happened to her? The wife? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, let's do this. Well, let me fast forward a few years, okay. and I'll I'll tell you. Go for it. So Kent Hovind and his wife Joe were married for forty three years at the time that they were arrested, and they were both arrested uh, because she was kind of guilty by association association in his financial crimes. Apparently, she had warned him that he was doing illegal things under her name, and he was like, no, it's fine. And then she did end up getting arrested for it, so she was right. According to a half a billion dollar damages lawsuit filed half by Hoven. Bi- $500 million. $500 million damages lawsuit that he filed against the federal government, the judge, some of the jury, I think. like There were like so many defendants. Mm. I, I feel like I should just read from this lawsuit. Yes. If that's okay. Okay. So this is from page 49. I'm going to do page 49 and 50. It's larger. It's large print. I'm reading so much in this episode. My wife, Joe, and I were childhood sweethearts, married in 1973. We're, bo- we're both virgins on our honeymoon. We're loyal to each other for 43 years. The July 13th arrest was the day before our July 14th anniversary, likely conveniently planned by some of the defendants. We had three children and five grandchildren, all serving the Lord with us in the ministry. She is five foot tall, the church pianist, and a music teacher, and is the least dangerous person on the planet! Exclamation point. She was arrested at gunpoint in bed and was not allowed to get dressed or go to the bathroom. What's the first thing you want to do when you get up? She was taken in handcuffs to the courthouse in her nightgown. Due to her being terrorized by the entire ordeal, she soon stopped writing to me or visiting me in prison. Upon my release from prison, she made me sleep in a separate room until she filed for divorce. Florida is a no-contest state, and the divorce court hearing lasted six minutes. On the way out of court, I asked her to marry me again. She, Mm. (laughs) afraid... Oh, no. Hang on. Hang in here. She, afraid of the defendant's further actions against me, said no and has not talked to me since. What is the cost one can put on the defendant's evil actions that broke up a loving marriage? How can anyone put a dollar figure on that? $50? $50,000? Fifty million dollars, five hundred million dollars. Certainly, punitive damages to teach them not to do this again to anyone are in order. I can only show why effectual punitive damages can curtail such lawless, conspiring behavior. I ask the jury to prayerfully, prayerfully decide this. I raised my three children in the church ministry, and they all lived around me and worked beside me every day. I helped my son Eric go to Bible college to study to be a creation science evangelist like me. And upon his graduation, he began helping me take some of the hundreds of requests I was getting to go preach at churches and schools. I helped him build his house two doors down from us, and his three children were the most loved grandchildren on the planet. 
I read them to sleep every night before my arrest. I wrote 15 books for them while I was in prison. We were a very close, loving family. I helped my daughter, Marlissa, go to college and be one of my secretaries to handle the hundreds of phone calls I get. She worked in our ministry from the time she was a child. She asked me to perform her wedding, which I was honored to do. It has been played over 50 times on America's Funniest Home Videos. This is important. This is in, this is, I'm still reading from his lawsuit. This Mm. is in the lawsuit because all of these details are important. Please watch Dr. Dovin's, Dr. Hoven's, Dr. Hoven's daughter's wedding and see what a loving family we were. She and her husband lived next door also. Due to the actions of the defendants, she and my son, Eric, are still to this day terrorized by the events and the people surrounding this case and are afraid to be associated with me, their own father. Neither they nor the grandkids have ever come to visit me in the five years I've been in Lenox, Alabama, just 70 miles away, in spite of my repeated invitations, and they never call or invite me to family events in Pensacola. What is the dollar figure on the damages done to destroy a loving Christian family all simply working hard to spread the word of God? What would you want if they did this to you? I'm sorry, I can't put a price on that. I'll let the jury decide. So, yeah. (laughs) Those are two of the 57 pages of Kent Hovind's manifesto lawsuit. This is a manifesto, isn't it? It is. It it is. And, like, this sounds super likely to me, right? Like, he was absolutely definitely not being an asshole to his family for years before this. Uh, But he was, like, the perfect dad and father. And then they all of a sudden turned on a dime and immediately wanted nothing to do with him the minute he got arrested because they're traumatized by the mode of the arrest. Utter lack of self-awareness here is... And this also, like, most definitely has (laughs) nothing to do with uh, the 800 to 900 speaking engagements a year because he definitely had no problem having time for his family around all that. Well, probably when he lectured his children, that was classified as a speaking engagement. Yeah, maybe if he was short for the year, he would just, like, make them sit through, like, breakfast and lunch or breakfast and dinner, you know? Okay, so why don't we go take up the offering? Yes. Perfect. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's Amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Sadie. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one, where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series the first family of fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. 
we are back. So that lawsuit was filed after his 10 years in prison to try to extort damages from the federal government for ending his marriage for all the speaking fees he missed out on. Oh, hold on. Did he include interest in that? Because I, if he's suing for loss of income, uh, he should make sure that he includes interest and adjust it for inflation. No, <laughs> I, I don't see a calculation for interest. I thought his marriage fell apart because his wife uh, filed a restraining order against him for domestic assault. I thought I saw that. You did, but it's not that wife. Wait. Okay. We're going to go. It's time to get into the wife drama. Oh, God. And this There's is um, always something else. Like immediately before recording, I was watching Bachelor in Paradise, and this is literally more dramatic than that. So this is going to be it's fun. It's more dramatic than uh, sitting in a villa and drinking cocktails and talking about who you're trying to hook up with. Well, like on this on this season, Thomas just stole Tammy from Aaron, which is kind of a big deal because Thomas and Aaron were like at each other's at each other's throats on Katie's season of The Bachelorette, which just ended when she got engaged to that dumb boy Blake. She should have just gone for Michael A. Okay, <laughs> this story. <laughs> but back back to Kent Hoven. With the exception of the 10 years when he was in jail, it is just nonstop twists and turns. So and that's why I put this episode. I worked really hard to get it all in chronological order because that's the mm. only way to make sense of this. None of this makes any sense. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to help. Utterly chaotic. The first wife, Joe, divorced him, like I read about in the lawsuit that I just read out. Yeah, for uh, ruining her life and getting her sent to jail because she happened to be married to an absolute grifter. Right. And yeah. the way that he wrote the lawsuit, it, it, made, it made it impossible when she divorced him uh but joshua jocelyn who was a person definitely involved with the ministry said in a facebook note which i was able to dig up from other sources mm. that the divorce was official on march 24th 2016 there's an inconsistency in the lawsuit he says that he wrote 15 books for his grandchildren while in prison but he also says that his son had nothing to do with him after he was arrested but i know for sure that that's also a lie because he he was caught on the jail phone making phone calls to his son about how to hide out assets between his conviction and his sentencing so mm. that whole thing I, I don't trust most of what's in that lawsuit that i just read i don't even think hoven thinks it's true if you f bring a lawsuit and it's fake and like you swear by it on a sworn affidavit that is perjury that is also a federal crime well that's what he got in trouble for like that was one of his counts that he went to jail for because he brought a frivolous lawsuit against the irs the first time either way when joe officially filed for divorce from him in 2016 there was this other woman mary taco and mary, mary taco. it's t-o-c-c-o but i can't think of how else to say that it's yeah but unless it's italian so it's mary tacho in alabama mary tacho mary tacho is from alabama mary tacho i don't think so <laughs> mary it's either mary taco or mary tacho I mean, I can just, I can just say, Mariotocho. I can just say Mary Taco because that's probably how they say it in Alabama. Mary Taco. Anyway, Mary is supposedly IFB. People say she's IFB. Everybody seems to think that she's IFB, but all of her pictures show like so much cleavage, like not like regular, really? like yeah, like so hmm. much. Oh. Interesting. Like bartender levels. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So I have just Googled Mary Taco after you after you said that. And this link that pops up is her Twitter page, which says that she is an independent vaccine researcher. Yes. Which bodes well for everything. 
the world in general. So Mary has been hanging around Kent Hoven since around 2002. Some materials that she made were going to be sold in the Dino Adventureland, like bookstore gift shop or something. There is no direct evidence of anything untoward going on between them before Hoven went to jail. Josh- Joshua Jocelyn said it really well. He said Hoven's mistress wasn't Mary Taco, it was the ministry, referring to what took him away from his first wife, Joe. Jocelyn also said that Joe, the original Mrs. Hoven, did not divorce him because he was arrested, but because she waited for him for 10 years to get out of prison And then he immediately began playing with fire, doing things that possibly could have violated his probation and sent him back to prison, which he promised her he wouldn't do. So that's why she divorced him. I really feel bad for Joe. I mean, I do too. So she went to jail for her husband, like just because she happened to be married to this absolute grifter and insane person. And she held him down for a decade. And when he got out, he just went right back to it. Holy crap. Yeah. Like, nobody deserves that. Yeah, and I feel like that reason for divorce makes a lot more sense than, like, she was traumatized from being arrested. Yeah. She just, like, could not handle him being a criminal anymore. Right. Well, she didn't want to get arrested again. She didn't. She just. No. She did a year and a day for him. Or he's like unrepentant, and he's like, "No, I didn't do anything wrong. I haven't." Imagine getting out and being like, and he's like, "Oh, I haven't learned my oh, lesson." Oh no, he knew he was doing stuff wrong. Mary's statement is going to clear that right up for us in a minute. Mm-hmm. So Hoven's divorce was final in March 2016, and in September 2016, he married Mary Taco, and they had a common law marriage ceremony because of the sovereign citizen stuff. And this marriage got him in a bunch of trouble with all the fundamentalists who believe that remarriage is a sin because Mary Taco had also been previously divorced before she married Hovind. And that got him targeted by one of our all-time favorite assholes, Stephen Anderson. So that's cool. Honestly, dude, I don't get this union here because Mary Taco is 100% out of Kent's league. She's, she's not even playing the same sport as him. He's playing lawn darts and she's doing the triathlon. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) I'm also just a bit, like, it's starting to hit me that this same guy has had public run-ins with both Ali G and Steven Anderson. And America's Funniest Home Videos. And AFV. So now I'm, like, two two degrees of separation from Sasha Baron Cohen, which actually makes me super happy. Mm. Because, like, like, I I, I just think that's great. (laughs) I want to circle back, though. Because, so, Hovind, his civil marriage divorce civil and religious marriage to Joe Hovind ended in divorce in 2016. He immediately married Mary Taco. And then in 2020 is when he wrote that lawsuit. Remember what I just read about how much he loved Joe, who he called his wife, not his ex-wife. Yes. And he was like pretty mushy over her in that lawsuit. I just, I feel like if I was in Mary's shoes, I would not be too happy about him talking about his ex that way in his lawsuit, like publicly. That lawsuit where he bitches and moans about his virginal childhood sweetheart bride and how the government ruined their marriage was written four years into his marriage to another woman. He is an absolute madman here. This is unbelievable. Oh, you just wait, because by 2020, when that lawsuit was written, he actually wasn't married to Mary Taco anymore. Okay, well, he was, but according to him, he wasn't. This is where it gets complicated. Remember how Hovind and Mary had a common-law marriage? Yes. He's still... Because he's a sovereign citizen and he doesn't recognize that... He's still probably legally married to her. 
But she split from him after nine months of marriage, and then he eventually disavowed his marriage to her. So this seems totally above board, except not at all. I just want to be like, get this right, though. So Kent Hovind is IFB. Yes. And he is living under the same roof as a woman that he did not marry in a church. So he's well, literally living in sin. It's not the location of the marriage. It's whether the minister is ordained. Um, but mm. most IFBs consider it adultery to remarry after divorce anyway. He may also be currently committing some type of bigamy. So he did have a marriage with a minister. Yes, to marry to marry Taco, he did. Um, mm. And in Alabama, common law marriages are recognized by the state. So once one has occurred, in order to dissolve it, you need to legally dissolve it. It's not technically a divorce under state law because it's not technically a marriage, but there is a partnership that has to be legally dissolved. As best as I can tell at this time, Kent Hovind is still legally common law married to Mary Taco, but she says that he isn't. Mm. Anyway, what we know for sure is she left him in 2017. And this is long as f- but I want to read some excerpts from what she had to say about it. This is, by the way, the most coherent thing you will ever read that's written by an anti-vaxxer. I, and I have, oh, the other thing is I have edited this considerably for length. I have yeah, not, it's long as already, but... It is like three yeah. pages after I edited it. I have not cut off the ends of any sentences. Uh, I have been very careful not to, what I, with what I took out, not to change the context of her words. But I feel like, I feel like this is important and super relevant, so I'm going to read it. Why I had to leave Kentovind. In July of 2017, I made the decision to leave my husband, Kent Hovind, and Dinosaur Adventureland, where we had been residing together. My initial intention was to create a brief separation that would expedite the immediate correction of what had become a list of my serious concerns, based on the things I had learned after just 15 months in my husband's life. The day I left, I, had tru- I truly had no idea that I would never return. The next couple of paragraphs, she denies that she had any inappropriate contact with him until his divorce from Joe was finalized. Later, when the topic of marriage arose, I realized that I was very concerned about his past and if it would have implications on my future life. The question of whether Kent is one of the greatest saints and martyrs of our times, or if he is a rebellious, rogue, deceiving man with no regard for the law who is ultimately hurting his ministry, is one that surrounds Kent Hovind. Uh, She goes on there, but she doesn't actually answer the question, so I'm skipping that. Rightfully, my five adult children were very concerned about my my association with Kent. Yes, rightfully. I would be too. Yes. During this due, so she talks about like the the process of how he assured her that everything would be fine for her. During this due diligence process, I consulted with attorneys, experts in accounting, and owners of 501c3 organizations. The summary of all our communication was that they collectively were 100% completely committed and dedicated to handling every single aspect of Kent's ministry in absolute compliance with all laws and regulations. I relied completely on the promises made during meetings with Kent and the members of the DAL board. At some point, I had to make the decision, and that decision was to accept Kent's marriage proposal and to leave my family to relocate my whole world to Alabama and to temporarily take focus off my career to become his wife, to create our home, and to support him as a wife should. I made these sacrifices easily, happily, and willingly, but with one single non-negotiable permanent expectation that was clearly communicated multiple times verbally and in writing to Kent and his whole team, I have absolutely no compromise with my expectation that all things related to Kent and his ministry be handled in compliance with all laws, IRS tax codes, ethics, honesty, and transparency. So she's pretty clear, like, this is what she expected. 
Yeah, you can't fight. You can't break tax laws. Not even a little bit. You can't. My yeah, and, and this is what she says about about that. My agreement to marriage was permanently tied to trusting Kent that the ministry be handled above board and in full adherence to the law. Uh, I'm skipping a little bit, but it wasn't long before I noted before I began noticing certain things that didn't seem to add up. My list of concerns started slowly and then began to grow. Uh, she says that she, I'm going to skip a little bit here. She says that she requested the opportunity to address these concerns in a meeting uh, and she was blown off by the board. They were just, they just did not care about her concerns. Uh, going back to her statement, looking back, I was most alarmed at Kent's response when I questioned a particular serious matter that could create severe consequence. Quote, the board doesn't answer to you, Mary. And I can just hear mm. that in his smug little voice. After two weeks of intense discussions, consultation with professionals, and for further research, I had to remove myself from the premises until specific changes were in place for my safe return. My terms were very clear and reasonable. Furthermore, I challenged Kent and the board to please find a single professional in the area of law or finance who would disagree with my demands or indicate that they were unnecessary. I begged Kent to find just one single licensed expert who could explain to me that I was wrong and that current practices of Kent and the board of DAL were not likely to jeopardize our personal lives in the entire ministry. I prayed that Kent would and could do that. I thanked God for opening my eyes, but prayed that somehow I was wrong about what I was seeing. So she she tried and tried to get meetings about this and like to figure this out. Uh, in the following months, I only received a continuous pressure and reprimand and was told numerous times, quote, just come home and be a Proverb 31 wife. Uh, Kent removed his wedding. Yeah. Kent removed his wedding band three months later. In November 2017, he renounced his marriage to me and informed me he was looking for a new wife. He is now married to his third wife, Cindy Lincoln, who was previously my friend when I lived in Alabama. Wow. Worse than, better, better drama than The Bachelor in Paradise. Under the commitment of marriage, the husband takes a vow to care for and protect his wife and put her before anything else under God. I was not demanding extreme protection, but refused to accept decisions that blatantly and foolishly welcomed risk, risk, easy and valid attack, and the predictable demise of the life we were building together. The most disturbing aspect is that the problems I discovered were not accidental mistakes, nor were they impossible to correct. Instead, I had exposed and was demanding a complete revision of the planned, deliberate, voluntary way that Kent and his board are dedicated to operating Dinosaur Adventureland. Who was I to think I was going to persuade them all to change? My marriage with Kent would have survived had I been a good wife, understanding that a, a woman's place is in the home and her job is to support her husband without question, and a wife is certainly never to meddle in the men's business affairs. Yes, our marriage would have survived, survived for some time. For all the people who are just bursting with curiosity about why I left Kent Hovind, I will reduce it to one sentence. I decided I don't want to play a lead role in the next debacle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I feel like her response says a lot, but the only thing that says more than that is his response. Can I just say something real quick? Because having watched Kent Hovind, he is a charismatic guy and I could see how he would be like the how he would be able to, you know, pull the wool over some lady's eyes and be like and sweet talk her into getting married to him. Well, I really think you want to hear how he writes to her in response because I think it says so much about him. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, Mary. It's sad that you would tell half the story like this, but I know you need to try to justify the fact that you broke your vows to salve your conscience. Wow. Yeah. You demanded that I meet with you and an IRS attorney and disclose all CSE records, creation, science, evangelism. 
I told you then, and I, I'll remind you now, one, I don't have the records. The board handles that. Two, the board spent $12,000 on CPAs and attorneys having all the books and records of CSE looked at to try to satisfy your concerns. They assured you that everything was being done lawfully. This didn't satisfy you. You demanded that I fire the board. Mary, I can't fire any board members. If I could, that would make them an alter ego and create the very problem you feared. Three, as is obvious to anyone who felt any who followed my ministry or my court case, the enemies of Christ hate me and will twist anything that they can to harm or destroy this ministry. They broke over 100 laws to imprison me. See kenthovenisinnocent.com. <laughs> Four, CSE board member and attorney J.R. Hughes told me six times in bold print in one letter, do not go to meet with the IRS attorney and you. CSE board members Ernie Land and Bill Sardi said I should not go. Five, CSE has been audited every year and nothing is being done wrong. Six, the board was very concerned that you had been in contact with the IRS or some agency to try and find something, anything to arrest me again, to both silence the creation me creation message and do damage control over the bad name they got from the evil they did to me 112 years ago. I think he means 12 years ago. Those who do wrong always try to justify it like this post of yours. Hold on. Can I just say, so Kent Hovind is innocent.com is not a, is uh, currently available for sale for $1,795. The board's refusal to open books and records to you, <laughs> they did to the CPAs and attorneys who found nothing wrong, was because they feared that you had become an enemy and were seeking to cause harm, not harmony. Attorney Hughes met with you and I and told you to just be a godly wife and stay out of ministry business so you could not be in danger if they ever came after me again. You know, attorneys, their main mm. job is to tell people just be godly wives. I don't know, man. I feel like that attorney might have been doing her a favor, being like, look, <laughs> you, you don't want no part of it. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you don't want this, Dewey. Have as little knowledge of what is going on with Kent Hovind as you possibly can, because if you have no knowledge, then they can't arrest you. <laughs> and it sounds to me like she just like really wants him to be okay. Yeah. And she's trying to make this a legitimate ministry. Like she believes in the ministry and she's trying to make it a legitimate ministry. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah, no, um, stay in the kitchen. Bye. And let me run this like an absolute grifter. And uh, I want to run my business illegally. And yeah. uh, if you don't want that, then GTFO. He's like the VJ Malliev of dinosaur. Uh, evangelism so let me finish his his response to her because the, the really good part is close to the end here <sighs> i begged you to come back over 100 times mary the way you and your daughter cleaned out the house while i was gone preaching was wrong and unnecessary i knew your leaving would further harm the cause of christ after it was obviously we're not returning the board divides the marriage be annulled i have hundreds of texts and emails to you about all this mary i don't want to harm you or your fabulous ministry exposing the dangers of vaccines so I'll continue on without you and not expose our private lives. This is the part that gets me, man. This is the part. Uh, this is it for me. During the Battle of Brandywine, George Washington had his two favorite horses shot and killed right under him. He got another horse and went on to win the battle. <laughs> Your message is important, Mary. I pray you can find a godly man who will help you continue spreading it. Like she's probably spreading the coronavirus. As I've told you 100 times, you left not me, but you and your family are... I don't... That doesn't make sense. As I've told you 100 times, you left not me, but you and your family are still always welcome here. I don't... You left mm -hmm. me? Is that what he's trying to say? I've never blocked your text or calls or ignored your questions. Call me if you need anything. Kent Hovind. 
So he didn't start with Hello, My Name is Kent Hovind on his divorce, second divorce, <laughs> yeah. second, first not legal divorce. But he did compare her to a horse, which is great. And he compared himself to George Washington. Yeah. This is halfway between like an R&B song being like, I know I've done you wrong, but baby, won't you come back to me? Like that kind of thing. And then like, yeah. you know, like a Beyonce song where it's like, I don't need you anymore. Like I'm on to the ne- like. <laughs> I'm trying to make something out of irreplaceable and dinosaurs, and it's not coming to mind right now. Um, I finished my coffee a while ago, but yeah. Or don't hurt yourself by uh, from lemonade. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so speaking of lemonade and other women and fucking Baptist Bachelor in Paradise, guess what? <laughs> Yeah. What? No one really knows what's going on now. Mary claims that there was never a marriage document, so there's no need for a divorce. But that doesn't seem to be true, but that might be true. Uh, I really wish I had had time to actually try to find this documentation. And I just did not have time this week because, like I said, next week is finals week. But maybe one of our listeners will find it. Anyway, Cindy Lincoln, who was mentioned in Mary Taco's Facebook rant was calling herself Cindy Hovind in November 2020, and Hovind has occasionally referred to her as his wife, but has also gone on record on video saying the woman I am currently living with is not my wife, while still mm. being an IFB preacher, just straight up admitting this to living man. with and sleeping with this woman who he is not legally or civilly or religiously married to. This is just, like, I feel like, you know, once the cat's out of the bag, man, I guess I don't... So, I have no idea how many women Hovind has legally married. One, probably, two, maybe two, two, is, two but it also could be three. Could um, be four. There could be somebody we don't know about from like right. Like, yeah. like, how are we supposed to know? Um, we all Maybe know what happened. Common law marriage people over yeah, across all, state lines. I mean, people like, people seem to have forgotten what Dave Hiles did in the Philippines, but I haven't forgotten. Yeah. And uh, Hoven did travel internationally an awful lot. So who the mm-hmm. f- knows? Um, the current wife, who is probably not legally his wife in any sense of the word, uh, but he has decided as his wife so that they can f- uh, Cindy. They got together at some point after he split from Mary, and now they're still together, but there's not a legal marriage, and apparently he body slammed her, her being Cindy, about a month ago, and she had him arrested, and now there's a restraining order. Good for her, because that is a very difficult thing to do. So she's leaving him, is what I'm hearing. That's... I wish her best of luck and recovery, and... Yeah. uh, Never being married to a man like that again. I hope he stays the f*** away from her. I Jesus, hope he man. does too. But of course he's on his he's on his like Facebook and his YouTube like, oh well the devil is attacking my ministry again. Yeah. Maybe the devil keeps attacking your ministry because you keep doing stupid shit. The devil is within you, Kent. That's what's going on here. So whenever we do one of these deep dives into one of these figures, uh, like, you know, Jack Hiles, Lester Roloff, Jack Scott, I like to sit back in my armchair with a glass of cognac. And a cigar and play fake psychologist. You know what I'm saying? Wait, do you have a safari hat on? No. Oh, okay. Different, a, different kind. Of, okay, go ahead. I have a beanie that my mom knit for me, though. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's very nice. I wear it all the time. It's my favorite hat. Anyway, uh, I, I like to sit back uh, with my my cognac and my and my cigar 
and play fake psychologist and take a look at who this character really is. And I'm not going to do exactly that today. What I want to do is I want to decide if our friend Dr. Behovind is a true believer who is just drunk on his own hubris or if he's just like a grifter snake oil salesman. But also, like, I want to, like, ask, what is the type of man who's going to have three wives, none of whom he can treat well or be satisfied with? And then, like, what is it about this man? Is it greed? Is it just like if anybody ever questions you, you you say I am like above question. And even if they bring up a legitimate issue, you're going to be like, I'm not going you're to address a woman. it. Go back to the kitchen. Yeah. I'm not going to address this issue because somebody else, like not be like, mm, Oh, I, I didn't think about that. You're probably right. I should make sure that my tax documents are, he's like, no, I'm not going to do it just because you suggested it. Like, ugh. I think it's more hubris and ego than anything. And I don't get the vibe that he's an intentional fraud. I think it's more he is just a man who has never in his entire life been told no in a meaningful way. Like there's never been a no that he couldn't overcome with money or the force of his own ego or the force of his own will. You think that going to jail for 10 years would do it, but no, because he can overcome that with ego because now he's being persecuted. So I think that when you are raised with a certain sense of entitlement, you can like you can tell he has this level of entitlement because of how smug he acts all the damn time like how self-important he is you don't even see these things that you're doing as wrong you just automatically assume that you're on the like the side of good and that you're always pointed in the right direction especially if you're religiously very devout so if you are convinced that like the ministry work that you are doing is the most important work in the world and you see yourself as a net good that means that whatever it is that you do if it's in service of your ministry if it's in service of the lord then that means that it's good and Mm -hmm. you can do no wrong yeah and there's there's not a lot about his background other than what he says in his doctoral dissertation and his lawsuit and what he says in those is that he got saved at 16 and that he doesn't give any other personal background like he doesn't say like He informs the readers of his dissertation what his name is and where he works and where he lives, but he doesn't inform them anything about his parents or anything about his life or his education. And that tells me that in his, in his eyes, his life started at 16 when he got saved. And then it really got on track when he got fundy married to Joe when he was like 20. So when I think that the doctoral dissertation, like this says a lot to me. Because what is the point of going to school? Is it to get a degree or is it to get a piece of paper with your name on it that says that you did the thing? Right. Like, is it to learn or is it to master a subject in pursuit of the knowledge? Right. And I just don't think this man has ever learned a single thing in his entire life. Exactly. Exactly. Like a man who thinks he knows everything is impossible to teach, especially like if he believes that he deserves a certificate for just being smart, for just being him. That's Kent. That's what he's doing. I don't think it's him being like, oh, I'm going to grift these fundies. I think it's just that all American men of a certain age were raised with a certain degree of entitlement. And it's it's not like that's their fault or that they're bad people because of that. It's just that it was just given to them by society, especially like white American straight men of a certain age, you know? Well, especially people. Kent Hoban is a bad guy, though, because he... Uh, committed domestic violence against his well so what that's what i'm saying wife ish men were like just men in general were kind of given this sense of of entitlement and it's not that's a neutral trait that's just something like society taught you Mm -hmm. but some of them have worked through that in the name of egalitarianism 
some men have learned through hard life lessons, that they aren't the number one top dog in the world. And then some people like Kent Hovind end up being a lot like Brent in The Good Place season four. Yes. Because they never met a challenge that was bigger than their ego. Right. Like they had an outsized ego to begin with and then society bolstered it even further. And then they happened to not meet a lot of real challenges in life, you know? So yeah. their, their challenges were never bigger than what their ego could diminish. So it's born on third thinks he hit a triple. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so he doesn't think of what he's doing as grifting. I don't think so. So what I would compare this to is I would compare this to being the type of person that would buy a fake Rolex. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, cause so if say you buy a fake Rolex and you start wearing it around, you're essentially saying, look, I am wearing seven, $8,000 or like $15,000 worth of jewelry on my person as I go about my day, just like as you walk around. So people will look at you and you can think, oh, well, this guy has money. It's not about like having the watch. It's about having something on you that people can immediately look at you and think, oh, that cost money. Like, so guys say, well, go to the club with a fake Rolex, try to chat up girls, show off the fake Rolex. The girls think, oh, this guy's got money. And then, you know, you take her back to your apartment and then you've got four roommates. Your mattress is on the floor. She opens up your cabinet and it's ramen and spaghetti sauce out of the jar. Like, Jack Daniels. That's- Everybody who has everybody who has only ramen in their cabinet also has like Jack, uh, like a half drunk bottle of Jack Daniels in there. Fact. So Kent's fake doctorate, like it, it, the fake doctorate, isn't worth anything. It doesn't make him smarter. It's just so that he can tell people that he has a doctorate. It's the same thing, you know. It, 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 some people think it's the same, and it makes no difference. And people who who have them, they go around telling people that they're just as good. But if it was just as good, would you need to tell people that? Right. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying here. Kent Hovind has the issue where he both feels entitled, but he also clearly has an inferiority complex. He has this thing where he needs to say, I'm just as smart as these scientists because I also have a doctorate. But then he needs to belittle them to feel better about himself because he knows that his doctorate is fake. And it means that he will never be satisfied with what he has, which is why he's got to scam. He's got to dodge taxes. He's got to sue the government over the wife he lost instead of appreciating the wife that he has. The two wives that he has. The two, Jesus, like, he's he's insatiable. This is a specific type of delusion. And to me, this is very different from the Jack Scott delusion where, because the impression that I have of Scott and having known him very close to the time when he ended up going going to prison, the impression I get of Scott was his delusion was... I am so important to God that God will never let them get me. Like I do so much good that God is going to let me get away with whatever I do. And also like, I am so I'm worth so much to God that God's not going to care if I commit a sex crime. And I'm worth so much to God that my holy, I'm not even, I'm not even going to be able to say that, that I can, I can influence this girl for good through inappropriate sexual conduct that's the delusion of Scott and Hovind is not like, he's not like the I'm that important to God delusion. It's the I'm that important delusion. It's mm. like the I am the greatest creation scientist in the world. Because he's like a rock star. He's going around. He's talking eight like. Well, he's not even, but he thinks he's a rock star. He says that he's doing 800 gigs a year when he knows that like. Well, yeah, but most of those mm. gigs are 25 people. Yeah. 
And and the thing is that like I don't know. Have you seen Dave on Netflix? No. For people who have, he's like season one Dave. Like in season one, Dave is going around going like, yeah, I'm the greatest rapper in the world. And he hasn't even like had a show or had a record yet. But he's convinced that he is the greatest rapper in the world. Hmm. And that's Kent Hovind to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think that I don't think that you could say it any better than that. Uh, well, that's good because I think Chuck is, is a bit tired of sitting in on this episode. Yeah. So we're going to end this one here. Um Next week, what do we have? Oh, next week. Um, so if it's coming out, uh, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, Shana Tova, if you are Jewish, because it is the new year, Sadie and I are going to uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur services for the high holidays, and then we're going to do an episode about it. It's going to be really good. Uh, we're going to talk about Jewish stuff and she's going to experience something new and ask me questions about it. It's going to be very interesting and it's going to be super fun, super cross-cultural. And Chuck is going to not be there with us, but Chuck will um, probably be here when we record because she's a Velcro baby right now. Yeah. That's okay. All right. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Hold on. I got to talk to Chuck first. I love having you here with me. No matter how loud you are. No matter how much you pull my hair. Yeah, you can follow me uh, on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell yeah Sadie or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. My TikToks have been doing really poorly lately, so like, go watch them and make me feel better about myself. Thanks. Algorithm doesn't love you. Nope. That's what's going on. Yeah, you can follow the podcast on social media at Leaving Eden Pod at on um, Instagram and and facebook on twitter no instagram and facebook it is at leaving eden podcast uh, twitter it is at leaving eden pod uh join our subreddit uh, which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus join our patreon patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast uh and you can follow me on uh facebook instagram twitter and clubhouse at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n Uh, Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. You have a nice day. Bye-bye. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.